Strategy and Insider, exploring future trends and their impacts. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to this very insightful conversation with Nora Bloom from Selfapy, which I'm sure is worth listening. We had already recorded this episode at the beginning of March, which is why we have actually been co-locating in beautiful Berlin at the time. And given the circumstances of COVID, we decided to postpone this episode a bit to help shed some more light on COVID-related discussions. But enough of introduction, have fun and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Strategy and Insider podcast, where this season is all about the future of health. My name is Thomas Solbach, and I'm a partner at Strategy and in our pharma and life science practice and the host of this podcast. Together with different healthcare experts like academics, practitioners, entrepreneurs, and also executives, we do explore some of the most critical future trends and challenges within the healthcare industry. And at this stage, already a big thank you to everyone, um, to your loyalty and support. And we do really appreciate your interest in, in our conversations and discussions that we're having with our interview partners. And no matter if you are a regular listener or found this podcast for the very first time, we actually appreciate uh, that you're tuning in as well as the very nice feedback and the good ratings that you've gotten us so far. And if you didn't find the time yet, obviously, we would highly appreciate that. Today, I'm really thrilled to welcome Nora Bloom. First of all, thanks very much for making the time and for being our guest here in this episode today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, for everyone listening who don't know Nora yet, she is a psychologist and the co-founder of the startup called Selfapy, which is a guided and self-help online course that does provide care to people with things like depression, anxiety and eating disorders. But I'm sure we'll have a deeper discussion with Nora throughout the conversation. And prior to doing this, Nora did study psychology at the University of York and Cambridge and has worked for the venture builder Rocket Internet in the past. And actually in 2017, she made it into the Forbes 30 under 30 list for social entrepreneurs saying about herself that she is passionate about being um, yeah, using technology to make psychology care uh, basically better and also um, yeah, available to everyone at reasonable costs. Without any further ado, again, welcome uh, to this uh, podcast and let's dive right into the conversation, Nora. Cool. Hey, psychology, to me at least, being a non-psychologist, is to me a very broad field that does encompass basically the study of human thoughts, which is super complex, and, and not only thoughts, but also behavior and how you develop and what your personality is around and your emotions, how they um, come up and how you motivate and, and much, much more. You decided um, after obviously doing your, your school that you go to York and the University of Cambridge in the UK studying psychology there. A, why did you study psychology? And B, why did you go straight into the UK? 
Interesting question, and also thanks for the nice intro, Thomas. Very happy to be here, um, so thanks for that. Psychology, for me, it was actually always clear that I wanted to study psychology. There was no question in my head about it. I actually grew up in a family of mostly psychotherapists and psychoanalytics. So you so, kind of had a legacy to deal yes, with Yes, I yeah? had to <laughs> <laughs> That was actually the, the number one um, topic at the okay. dining table. It's the topic of our family. Um, everyone's a psychologist. Okay. So for me, it was always the most interesting topic that there is, and I... I honestly, I sometimes I ask myself, how can anyone not study psychology <laughs> as it is so interesting? And it, it tells you why people behave the way they do and why would you not be interested in it? So yeah. for me, I always wanted to, to become a psychologist. Okay. Yes, definitely. And why the UK? Oh, I don't know. I keep, sometimes I ask myself that. Um, after my baccalaureate, I, I come from Hamburg. I wanted to just experience a different country. I wanted to, to study somewhere else. I wanted to improve my English. And um, for me, UK seemed like a good place. And especially York and Cambridge, both universities that have the college system. It's a bit different to study in the UK where you're really part of the university. And the university basically is part of your life. Um, yeah. You do sports. Um, you have your friends. Everything is um, related to the uni. And um, for me... I found that was very interesting and especially Cambridge is such a beautiful place. Yeah, um, very vibrant but also very traditional yes. and yeah, yeah it was crazy. a lot of great <laughs> ingredients there. Yes, yeah. you do. You meet so many great people and it was really one of the best times of my life, yeah. Cool. And after finishing this, you first decided to go to Rocket Internet and work on various angles there, also running the Hamburg office for Fudora at the time. But then you, you kind of switched back into psychology and found your own thing. What made you kind of reorient towards that? In the beginning, during my studies, I was uh, mostly focusing on clinical work. So I was working in psychiatric hospitals. and um, In the UK then? Still um, yeah, partly in the UK, partly back in Hamburg. Mm -hmm. um, so during summer break, I was always um, working in psychotherapy practices. I was always working in uh, psychiatric clinics. Mm -hmm. And I did my first work experience in that field. And I thought it was super interesting. And I liked the work, but I always knew that I didn't... Well, I didn't want to become a psychotherapist and work as a practitioner um, in the first place um, because I always was also interested in, in experiencing another field of work, um, which is a bit more, like I felt a bit younger, uh, mm -hmm. more vibrant in a way. And I had friends that were working at Rocket Internet and they told me about it. And I thought it just seemed like such a cool place where so many young people, ambitious um, people get together and get a lot of responsibility very early onwards and, and can actually um, shape future in a way and for me I felt that that was such a cool place um, to work um, for and also I have to say I was always wanting to do what I do now self OP as a as a venture um, combining venture building as well as um, helping people with mental disorders was something that I was um, thinking about very early onwards during my studies I already met my co-founder um, Kati she's also a psychologist and already during that time that was back in 2013 2014 and we were already talking about um, building um, a platform that provides people with mental disorders um, easy access to care and um, during that time it just seemed um, logical that we would separate and that she would work in a, the charity clinic and that I would work um, for Rocket Internet that teaches you how to build a company. And um, with you having worked both in the UK uh, and Germany, are there any differences on, on how we as care systems do approach uh, psychiatric disorders or mm -hmm. is, there, is there no big difference? 
I'd say the UK is a bit further with regards to um, online therapy programs for mental disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, Germany was a bit backwards in, in that sense, um, especially during that time. We had we had no good, nothing really um, mm-hmm. that that helps people to get immediate access to care. But in general, I feel the problem in the UK as well as in Germany as well as actually it's a worldwide problem that people with mental disorders are not treated the way they're supposed to. They don't get help immediately. They they have to wait for months and months. And mm. this is the same in the UK as well as it is in Germany. And it's still a stigmatized topic. Um, it becomes better, but still, um, people with, with the depression, people with anxiety, they don't approach um, psychotherapists as, 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 they, as people do with a broken arm, you know? Yeah, yeah it's not something very natural and, and people no. are kind of hiding away with it, right? Exactly, exactly. But, but that, to my understanding, is also one of the reasons why you and uh, your co-founders did actually found self P. And as I was saying at the very beginning, I tried to summarize what self P is in a sentence. But if you would characterize self P, who you are and what you do, how would you describe it for everyone listening here? Mm-hmm. Um, so with self P, we want to give people easier access to mental care. What we do is we developed online therapy programs that teach users the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's it's kind of working like an e-learning tool, which um, teaches you the principles with with help of videos, audios, exercises. And you do these exercises and you basically um, learn how to make yourself feel better. And during this um, three months course, um, online training course, you always um, get guided by a psychologist. Um, so you always um, have a person to talk to and they give feedback on what you do during the online course. And um, they talk to you either in form of chat or by telephone. And um, with these three months programs, you actually get the same results as you do with um, traditional psychotherapy. Okay. So it can be very, very helpful for people, but it has the positive effects that it's um, very flexible. So people can do it from their own home um, and it's immediate so people can sign up within minutes and get help and also sign off within minutes if they don't yes. like it right <laughs> yes but, of course um, which is also a positive side to it yes uh, i'm not not joking here but this is also in psychiatric diseases is something to yeah to also keep in mind and, and i would see that actually as a benefit Uh, to the yeah. program and do you have your own psychologists in-house then or do you collaborate with um, psychiatrists from universities and, and um, hospitals and private clinics or how um, do you do that we have our own psychologists in-house yeah. great we have a okay. pool of roughly 60 psychologists that okay. work with us and they get supervision from our um, lead psychologists and mm-hmm. um, they guide the users through the course yeah. interesting hey and you, you successfully founded obviously um, and big congrats of course uh, to to uh, achieving another round of uh, substantial uh, financing here, talking about something in the range of five to six million euros in, in funding. Um, can you share a little um, what was kind of the biggest challenges and what's important to keep in mind when founding a startup in the healthcare sector in Germany? Well, a couple of years ago, I would have said, just don't found us. Don't found a startup in the mental health care space <laughs> because it's so difficult. No, it's actually very difficult. Um, it's it's very difficult in Germany to um, get a business model that works for you. That's the main topic because there's no real self-pay market in Germany. People don't really pay for treatment themselves mm-hmm. um, just because our healthcare system works the way that 
well, you, you get most treatments um, from the health insurances, right? Mm -hmm. So people wouldn't, wouldn't actually pay out of their own pocket for it. But then again, you need the health insurances um, mm -hmm. to pay for, for what you do, and that is a very long way. So it took us um, roughly three years to get the first um, contracts with health insurances. We have 16 contracts now, which is mm -hmm. quite a lot of um, partners that already pay for our therapy, and that's actually how our business model works. But um, it, it just took us a long time. And, and those are kind of selective contracts that you have yeah. on a one-to-one -one basis exactly. with the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we have over 100 health insurances here yeah, in Germany. Sure. So exactly. for me, this was a long um, time of just driving around from health insurance um, to health insurance and from city to city to pitch what we do and um, that our program works and that, yeah, that we we want them to, to pay for the therapy and not have the, the insured people um, pay for the therapy. And that took us a long way. Yeah. This is now kind of currently turned by uh, current government and Jens Spahn, yeah. um, who um, uh, recently uh, introduced yeah, something <laughs> that would reward health startups in the digital space to get, um, hopefully at some point, an easier access to reimbursement, talking about the uh, Digitales Versorgungsgesetz, as we would call it in Germany, and, and translating it into English, it's something like the Digital Healthcare Act that uh, now allows statutory health insurance companies to basically reimburse certain health apps even without that selective contract that we have been talking about. But uh, in order to kind of qualify to make it onto the list of reimbursable apps, uh, there are certain hurdles to to keep in mind. And um, me personally coming also from the healthcare system side uh, to a certain degree, I would judge that as rather complex uh, the the way to get onto that list if i see there is something in the range of 120 line items to tick off around the functionality around safety quality data security and privacy and and also the associated evidence that you need to generate uh, through um, at some point cost intense studies do seem like a proper hurdle um, for um, highly innovative agile yet smaller companies uh, like CellFP and others. How do, you, how do you see that personally? Yeah, it's very complex <laughs> that as a start. No, in general, I'm obviously the biggest fan of the new law. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's a very great initiative. Yeah. I, if I had a poster on my wall from summer, it would be from Jens Spahn. Um, cool. I, I am the biggest fan. Um, Have you ever told him? <laughs> I see him a couple of weeks and I might tell him. <laughs> no, I, I, without, without jokes, I'm actually, I, yeah. I love the new law. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Um, because... Um, what it does for um, for us as a startup, for example, is that um, all these thousands of patients that we get um, each month that we can't help because their health insurance isn't covering our program yet, mm -hmm. um, we have to send them away. So basically what we do is that we do the same as, as um, the psychotherapists that have this very long waiting time. It's the same with us. Like We can't give them any help. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because their health insurances don't pay for it. Unless they're, they're self-paying then, which exactly, is obviously which, a burden to a lot of people, usually right? Usually they don't, yeah. 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 But this is now changing with the new law. Mm -hmm. So um, in the future, these patients can now go to see a doctor and they can actually get self-therapy prescribed. And for us, obviously, this is a game changer because we can actually now finally help all these people that want to help, that want to use our program, mm -hmm. but don't want to pay it out of their own pocket. So it's a big, it's a big, big thing. I think it's also a big thing for Germany um, in general, which um, we're usually um, regarded as one of the 
well, least <laughs> far countries with yeah. regards to digitalization, especially in the healthcare systems. Um, so I think this is a huge step for Germany as a country, and it's a huge step um, that will allow patients to, to get um, support in, in different areas um, with digitalization. And I think that's a, it's a super great thing. Um, and for us, obviously, as a startup, it's, it's, awesome. Yeah. it's awesome. And it's, it's, it's truly uh, kind of a leapfrog step. Uh, even for the German healthcare it's system, crazy. right? It's, We're now it's overtaking <laughs> the rest of the world yes. with regard to digital health. Yes, uh, exactly. Where, uh, I don't know. Six months back, we would have not made such a statement by exactly. any means, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it is a it is a big step. At the same time. Um, it brings some need for yeah. expensive studies, yes. right? And that's why you also kind of uh, fundraised um, as, yeah. you, as you recently did that you are, if I understand correctly, already in, still in a study that you're doing in collaboration with the Charité here mm. in Berlin and publish, uh, publishing date, what I can see at least uh, coming soon. Can you, can you shed some light on A, how difficult it is and, and yes. uh, where do you see that going? Yeah, it's um, it is difficult to become part of a law, which I think is makes sense because it's um, money from the health insurance is that we're spending, and not every app and not every uh, online program should be eligible to be to be part of this um, care system, right? So it's it makes sense. There's there needs to be a lot of requirements with regards to data security, with regards to clinical evidence, um, with regards to quality quality management. It's a lot of certifications that you mm -hmm. need, which are just um, costly yeah. and um i do think well that they make sense but as you said there's uh, yeah there's like an 80 pages long catalog of different mm -hmm. um, requirements listing all the requirements and it is a very costly thing to to achieve all of them for us we have always been a startup that um, for our health insurance contracts that we already have, we always had to work on all these different requirements. So we have already a very um, strict data security process. We already have um, external data security audits and all these kind of things. We're already getting the, the first audit now for our quality management systems, etc. So we are already, I'd say, quite far in this process. Mm -hmm. um, still, there's a lot of stuff that we still also need to do. And with regards to the clinical evidence, so the way the law works is that you can actually get um, into the new law with um, just some minor evidence. Yeah. Um, I personally actually think it's a bit too long, <laughs> yeah. um, but um, you can you can work um, under the new law for a year and then have That's to show kind of your grace period, right? Until exactly. you show the evidence. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, we we already have we just finished the second clinical um, study. We get mm -hmm. the results in the next weeks um, together with the Charité, mm -hmm. but they're already looking very good. <laughs> Keeping fingers crossed Yay. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, it's it, obviously apart from clinical um, trials what we do is we always look at our data it's the most important KPIs for us so um, in a normal startup you would look at sales you would look at I don't know um, at return rates or anything but what we always look at is the symptom reduction um, so we always we always optimize our program based on um, how many people get actually better mm -hmm. and obviously we know that the people do get better so the clinical trials are just there to, to validate that from an external partner and um, we're starting our studies now with regards to other programs so with regards to anxiety and eating disorders with the University in Heidelberg mm -hmm. um, for example and um, we will use these clinical studies then also to, to get the evidence that you need for the to get a reimbursed under the new law. And do you also get some real life kind of evidence and feedback from actually users that are coming back and say, hey, Nora, or whoever they're yeah. approaching within self would be great that you did that yeah. and uh, this helped change my life and, yes. and, and yeah, reorient we, myself. Yeah, yeah, we get a lot of that. That's actually the 
the main reason why we keep on going and um, why we do what we do, right? Because founding a startup in the healthcare space is not easy. Um, mm. It's been really four very tough years um, and we're very, very proud actually of what we have achieved so far, but this is mostly because we actually can help the people and we get this awesome feedback and um, this is what keeps everyone in our team really going because this is not a normal user group. We don't have users, we have patients really. And yeah. um, when your program works well, it means that they actually get better and mm. um, they they send you these amazing long letters and um, comments that um, because of our program, they can leave the house for the first time or um, mm. they have um, got back in touch with their family or um, that, uh, that they can actually go back to work. And um, this is something... Is obviously amazing, and um, this is really the major drive that everyone on our team has. And you, you not do that in, in kind of a normal disease area where you you reference a broken arm yeah. or kind of a headache or whatever, yeah, where there is kind of a a proper explanation and understanding of root causes to, yeah. to things, yeah. And uh, in psychiatric diseases, um, there is still that kind of stigma and, and also somewhat of an intolerance in, in society um, towards those mental health disorders. Why do you think those stigmata or, or intolerance do actually exist? And, and why don't we have the same attribution of relevance to these diseases like a broken arm? Yeah, well, I think it It's getting better, um, especially in Germany. So people are more likely to approach a psychotherapist. But still, as you said, it's still stigmatized. I think it's something that you can't see. That's one of the major problems. So it's not something where you can see, of course, obviously the, the bone's broken. Mm -hmm. So um, that person cannot use the arm anymore. Um, but it's something that is um, inside. So it's very difficult for other people to actually make sense out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is um, that is often associated with weakness still mm -hmm. um, which I think is very very sad um, because as it is associated with weakness for people that that feel sad and that have feelings and this is still attributes that well yeah that are associated with um, female types actually and and with weakness and this is why people don't really um, want to go outside and say yeah I have a depression I have an anxiety disorder so just uh, jumping on what you just said with regard to it's getting better here in Germany uh, yes. uh, and also coming back to the Federal Ministry of Health um, uh, that actually states that depressive disorders are among uh, the most common and also in terms of their severity most underestimated diseases that, that we're experiencing as a society and that it is actually estimated that about 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression at the moment and uh, according to the WHO depression or uh, any affective disorder um, will be amongst the most common and widespread diseases worldwide by, by 2020 and beyond. Um, how do you think um, your technology but also other technologies that you that you're seeing emerging in this field can actually help recognize signs of mental disorders at a very early stage that people are not kind of locking themselves away in their yes. houses and get into such a stigmata or whatever it is that 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 hinders them to to live a normal life um, how can kind of technology and, and early preventative measures uh, do a To, to something good here. Yeah, um, I think there's great approaches um, going on to 
to see early signs of mental illness. Um, these are approaches often actually in the US, um, some approaches I think also in the UK, that um, want to collect different data from smartphones and with regards to how the person moves, actually also voice recognition, mm-hmm. um, what what kind of um, things the person types um, on, on, on Facebook, on WhatsApp. So they collect all data and, and they want to build a... Um, alert system basically that tells mm-hmm. the user when they feel when they when well when their situation is about to um, get worse i'm actually not sure whether they actually work yet um that well um there's been some um, programs that that can show that there's obviously an effect between say um doing exercises and how much the person talks to other people during the with their phone and um, how much he's moving around which correlated with mental illness um, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure actually whether there's already a program that can actually will tell the person and then have an effect on it and I um, I recently had a, a very interesting discussion with someone and we came to the conclusion that in way earlier days of medical history at the time where we didn't know that cells actually exist Yeah, mm. um, um, until there was kind of the microscope found yeah, and uh, innovated. At that time, we then understood that there is not only cells, but also compartments in cells. And uh, even in compartments, you see another proteins and, and microbiomes and what have you uh, being present there, that, that we came to that conclusion that the kind of data and the associated analytics mm. uh, could be the microscope of the 21st century because if we only understand what are the parameters that we're reading out in terms of the heart rate, sweating behaviors, walking behaviors, yes. flattering in your voice, whatever it is or combinations of that are predictive of, of an onset or a worsening of a disease, then we, then we understand what to look for, right? Yeah. And, and for the time being, to me, it feels like There is tons and millions and billions of, of bytes out there, but we don't know what is relevant and what not, right? Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, I hope to see some more awesome approaches that actually want to make sense of all this data that is already out there to prevent some of the, the mental illnesses, but illnesses in, in general, right? And how do you see the, the chances of of preventing this because mm. if I um, take the, the broken arm example of course that is something that you can prevent yeah? um, <laughs> if we take type 2 diabetes through better exercise more healthy nutrition you can prevent this yeah. how do you see chances also in, in mental illnesses uh, to, to do prevention properly there yeah? I think there's a lot that um, society can do um, I think there's a lot that that can be done especially like not looking at data and um, startups now but um, for example to bring programs into school to teach young people already the principles of resilience for example and how can they help themselves um, in phases where they're unwell um, when their parents are unwell how they can yeah basically make themselves feel better and um, I think there's a lot of things that can be done already in, in early ages onwards and um, which is not being done at the moment which I don't really understand to be honest because it's such a costly illness um, mental illnesses are and I do think that there's a lot of things that can be done I think though that it's not something that can be avoided altogether there will always be people that are more prone to mental illness there will always be um, faces in life um, where people 
don't have the ability to bounce back from these um, live events. And um, I think there always remains the necessity of, of people being there to help these people. Yeah, sure. And I'm intrigued by, by also digging a little into how you as the kind of new entrance into the healthcare system, kind of cope and collaborate with the traditional players in the, mm. in the healthcare system. And I can only imagine when running these studies, when having these dialogues around reimbursement and also at the intersect of the traditional, sometimes drug-based therapies versus the, the digital therapies, as self appears one, how is that interlink that interplay and also the collaboration uh, looking like between yourselves and big universities, uh, big payer organizations, or even big pharma companies. I mean, there is, they're huge, right? They, yeah. they have people and, and staff for every angle of the traditional healthcare system where you yes. come in with only a couple of handful of people doing something good for patients there. How is that collaboration and um, uh, what are the challenges for you in, in these interacts? Well, it depends um, on which um, partner you look at, right? Um, psychotherapists in the beginning, they were quite skeptical of what we do. And um, I think this is um, very natural and um, that's the way they're supposed to be. But by now, they, they really understand what we do. Um, the ones that we talk to, they see that um, we're there for patients that... Well, not not ready yet to to approach them and mm. to to actually see someone face to face. So, I feel like our collaboration with psychotherapists has um, improved a lot. Um, with regards to doctors, it's it's a good collaboration. They usually they know that there's such a long waiting time for people with mental disorders to receive care. So they're mm -hmm. very helpful for anything that um, gives their patients um, help straight away. Mm -hmm. And This is why we keep in touch with doctors as well, um, especially now with the new law, um, needing them basically for a prescription. Um, so they become more important to us and I think also we can become more important to them and um, in working together. Um, with regards to pharmaceutical companies, we do some projects with them, but it's um, it kind of depends because it really depends on the player. Our focus is at the moment mostly on um, working together with health insurances and we do very much appreciate these collaborations. Yeah. You're currently primarily focusing on the German market. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, and of course, when uh, treating people in, with psychiatric diseases, obviously they, they would need to express themselves in their local language, right? Yes. Um, uh, how, how do you see that from an um, internationalization or scalability point of view? Um, how, how can you, what, what are your kind of visions and, yeah. and, and, and thoughts around that? Yeah, um, we're at the moment very much focused still on the German-speaking countries. So yeah. we do have collaborations with um, Swiss um, health insurances as well. Okay. So we have some projects going on there. But as you said, it's not as easy to internationalize fast because um, it's not an app that you can just like translate the contents and that's it. Exactly. Um, because we do have um, psychologists actually standing behind there and um, we feel like there's also changes in the content that you need to make when you go into another country because of cultural differences, for example. Yeah. Um, so it's not as easy for us to, to just internationalize. We do feel, though, that there is the need. Um, yeah. And there's so many other countries um, that have the problem um, that we have in Germany with very long waiting times, with very big difficulties for people to receive care. Um, so we do want to internationalize um, 
definitely from 2021 onwards, but this year we're definitely focusing on the getting reimbursed under the new law. Sure, I mean, getting it right first in, in, in the German-speaking area, yeah. but then having a, a kind of a next step into international markets. But yeah, yeah I, can, I can only imagine people will want to talk in their mother tongue when it yes, comes about feelings yeah. and, 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 and these very sensitive aspects. Yes, uh, yes. It's not like just buying our, a, I don't know, DVD that you no, can do in English. No, it's very like difficult. It's a very sensitive topic. Um, even our customer support, um, say they're all psychologists, right? Because yeah. they're not doing just the normal um, customer support. Everyone yeah. in our office really is a psychologist um, because with every point of contact that you have with the patients, you need to be careful with what you say and um, with how you speak. And um, it's always, yeah, you're, you're always working as a psychologist. Sure. Way. Yeah. And uh, talking about the, the people that you're approaching, the patients that you're helping uh, with self p obviously not only in mental health, but more broadly. Uh, there is mm -hmm. thousands, if not hundreds of thousands uh, um, of different health apps out there, uh, obviously number growing uh, as we speak. And uh, obviously for, for people that are in kind of need for something and, and search for something for them it's it's at least a jungle uh, to, to, to yes, guide themselves yes. through um, uh, obviously fostering uncertainty at their ends and um, hesitation uh, on, on whom to trust and whom not to trust now you being at the frontier um, of of developing those what would you kind of suggest or or yeah recommend to people um, how to to best find uh, the app or the combination of apps to to help themselves yeah i think um well with the new law it's actually it should get easier to distinguish the apps that um, have done their homework with regards to data security and yeah. quality um so only apps that actually have evidence that that have all the certifications This will be the, the apps that will be certified and uh, that will be reimbursed under the new law. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is for patients um, a very good hint that there is quality behind it. And um, also for the patient then obviously way better because they can actually get the app for free. So this is one thing. And then I think another thing is always to look at the institution partners. Mm -hmm. There's so many apps that are not collaborating with any institutional partner and that don't work actually with um, psychotherapists or doctors together at all and just want to make money and usually their programs are not that, that good. The, the medical evidence and, and robustness uh, yeah. um, is, is probably sometimes missing here. Yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, but you do, you do usually notice it um, when, you, when you look at them and they usually don't have a partner like the Charité mm -hmm. um, that they work with um, and they don't usually have clinical evidence. So these are the things I would look out for. Cool. Um, if we would um, meet up again um, in, let's say, 10 years from now and uh, healthcare has advanced uh, in mental diseases as well as other diseases, what are the biggest surprises or the biggest leapfrog changes that we will have seen in those 10 years if you could kind of estimate yes well i do think that telemedicine will be huge i don't think it will be normal anymore for patients to go mm -hmm. into the doctor's practice and and wait in the waiting room for for hours um getting ill possibly um i think it will be very much more common to to see a doctor via the video uh -huh. um that as one thing i think and i also hope that um obviously mental um disorders will also be 
treated and poets obviously still with traditional psychotherapists there always will be the the main and the key players but also that online programs as therapy will be one of the the programs and just seen as a traditional um way uh, as a alternative way to to receive care actually and this with regards to all different illnesses i think there will always be one option to go to 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 see someone face to face or then the alternative option to to get treatment via an online program or via an app cool so uh, Nora thanks very much uh, for shedding those lights and and kind of giving a, a bit of experience in terms of um, how you founded Selfie with which kind of uh, remit and, and and ideas and um, how how you see that going forward uh, to me it was very refreshing to see that um, kind of the the user experience or the customer satisfaction with that is is your main currency, uh, um, yes. which is uh, which is uh, something superb. Yeah. Uh, second, to me, it was very yeah good to see that uh, digital is not everything, but can be a, a very good uh, um, mean um, to 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 make a change because you combine digital elements with very analog elements where you yes. have psychologists and. Um, Digital is not everything because it needs to be, especially in human medicine, yeah, needs to be transmitted via a human whom you can trust and talk to and, and have a relationship with, even if it is via telemedicine, but there is someone whom you, you can trust. Yeah? And um, also your perspective on you you're being one of the uh, stakeholders that are contributing to, to people's health. And you do that kind of more in a roundtable collaborative approach with universities, with pharma, with payers and alike, uh, where there is a bridge building between the traditional and the new world. Yeah. So thanks very much um, for, for, for this. Um, for everyone listening, also to your ends, thanks for staying on. And if uh, you want to find out more of uh, our latest thinking and, and latest reports, please go to our website and, and download accordingly. With that said, um, again, thanks very much for staying uh, tuned and have a great day. Strategy and strategy made real.